This week's episode on comedy writing is brought to you by Amazon Prime Student. If you're like me, you're a student. And if you're also like me, you love Amazon, the uh, the company with no with no human rights violations, no labor problems, the, the, the perfect company. With Amazon Prime Student, you can get fast, free shipping on over 100 million items, stream thousands of TV shows like Transparent, no problem there, and movies like the ones made by Woody Allen, again, no issues, and get exclusive college deals. After your trial, Prime Student is just $6.49 a month, half the price of a non-student membership you can cancel anytime, and you get top deals for students on electronics, school supplies, and more. You know, and those those when you get those packages from them, they're shipped by people who are paid a fair wage, who uh who get breaks, who don't have to piss themselves in the Amazon warehouse. No, they don't have to do any of that. At Amazon, they find the deals, you shop, save, and enjoy. Students can start their free six-month trial of Amazon Prime by going to bordercard.com slash prime student. That's bordercard.com slash prime student. Be woke. This is a Boardwalk Audio Podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support this show is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the Support Our Artist button to shop on Amazon in Hollywood. We get a little kickback. Our guest this week is Joanna Bradley. Joanna's been a fixture at UCB for many years, uh, was a writer at Above Average, Saturday Night Live, and most recently at The Break with Michelle Wolf. The unfairly canceled The Break with Michelle Wolf, I may add. Uh, Joanna is really funny. She's got some great insights, and it's a, it's a fun episode. So here is Joanna Bradley. Uh, Joanna, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, man. Sure thing. Uh, where are you from? I'm from here, from New York. Oh, cool. You're actually, are you from the city? Yeah, yeah. Oh, whoa. What's yeah. it like growing up in the city? Uh, it, for, for me, it was lovely. It was yeah. great. <laughs> like, uh, upper middle class kid in the, the 90s, so it was mm-hmm. pretty, uh, you know, pretty sweet living. Yeah, <laughs> in Greenwich Village. Yeah, it was good. Um, I I've met a couple people who grew up in the city, and they're all very different types of people. Yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, of different ages or uh, sort no, I'll call around the same age, but they're all very yeah. like. Some people were like very like partying very hard. Yeah, and yeah. then some people were like you know very uh, sheltered, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You can really run the gamut from like Gossip Girl to kids. Mm-hmm. Um, or whatever. I would say I fell somewhere in the middle, mm-hmm. um, but was I was never willing to uh, be risk taking enough to like uh, suck vodka out of a tampon or anything. Like <laughs> right. That. I don't know if you've seen that movie. That would be a really weird reference. Oh, that's in kids. Haven't. Yeah. Oh, I've seen kids. <laughs> I didn't but I don't just that. off the cuff. Uh, that's not like living in my brain like that image. <laughs> I didn't invent that. Kid, that's the one where the guy gets uh, HIV and, st- and still has sex with women, right? Uh, yeah, Casper, um, and then Chloe Sevigny plays like the girl who gets like an HIV diagnosis. I think I watched that movie when I was uh, like fifteen or something. It really stressed perfect. me out. It yeah, really stressed perfect. me out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very stressful. It's not a chill <laughs> movie. <laughs> uh, were you interested in comedy at a young age? Um, in so much as like consuming it. Yeah. Um, and you know, whatever, to whatever extent I liked attention and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what kind of stuff did you watch? Um, you know, like whatever my, whatever my parents, uh, and friends were telling me to watch, but typically like, I guess my parents, uh, skewed pretty like, uh, like Jewy, <laughs> like uh, like Mel Brooks, Marx Brothers, um, and then SNL, of course, mm-hmm. which is also pretty Jewy, um, <laughs> given Lauren's real last name. Um, yeah, stuff like that. Exclusive, exclusive. If you haven't, if you haven't Wikipedia Lauren and found out that his real name is, I think Lipschitz or something like that. Mm. Lipnicky, I can't remember. Um, yeah, so stuff like that, and um, yeah, uh, I think. I remember this weird phase in my in my life when I would only watch uh, like Hitchcock movies, which are uh, not not funny typically. Right. He has like one funny movie, and it's not funny. Um, but like I, I would only I would refuse to watch anything else. Uh, this is around like eight, nine, ten, and then 
uh, my parents, I think, were like trying to get me out of this phase because they were just like, this is untenable. Like, we can't spend every Friday night watching another Hitchcock movie. And so they showed me um, High Anxiety, mm. which is Mel Brooks, uh, Mel Brooks's like parody of Hitchcock. Right. And it was a nice like bridge over. And I was like, I was like, oh, also, this is very funny. And then I think I got mm-hmm. I, that clicked me back into like comedy. And then I started watching SNL and stuff like that. You must be excited for Hitchcocktober. We're right in the middle of it. Yeah, there's some. There's like a festival at uh, Village East Cinemas or something. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like every Thursday. They're yeah, showing I'm into in there. it. And yeah. they're showing like at the quad. They're showing. We can just nerd out on movies for one. Like, they're showing like Brian De Palma. Um, you know, All he right. does like some like he does a couple like Hitchcock esque movies like mm. homages to, and they're showing one of his right now. You know, still on movies. Yeah, let's do it. I, I had Movie Pass. I still oh, do. What's I don't I never had that, but it seems like it's it was go, it's it was here amazing. And gone. Well, it's gone. Yeah, because it was economically untenable. Yeah, but I used to go to Quad all the time and watch all the you know, and now I haven't I haven't been in like three months because yeah. I don't have the movie pass. Yeah, man. I mean, I think AMC like put them kind of out of business or something. Yeah, and then AMC just has you know like the normal movies. So it's yeah. like which is fine. It's fine. <laughs> I don't know. Uh so when you were like a kid, were you doing like any, uh, I don't know, performance stuff or writing stuff growing up? No, not, I, I did music. Um, okay. But music is like pretty serious. Right. Uh, it's like pretty earnest. <laughs> um, so yeah, I did. I like played guitar and then I played like jazz guitar and then I sang jazz. Uh, I'm like talking like scat? Oh, buddy. wow. Yeah. I'm talking, I did that for reals, took it very seriously, um, uh, which is really funny to me now. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I didn't do the plays or the musicals or anything, uh, even though I always kind of wanted to. But it was like a little too, like, I don't know, embarrassing or something. Well, you're doing jazz. Yeah. Gu- I, mean, you're doing- <laughs> I know. Isn't that the irony? I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not going to try out for a play. Excuse me. I have to scat for 20 bars or whatever. Yeah. Are there any similarities between like music and and comedy or? Definitely. I I distinctly remember like having this like push pull relationship with um, with soloing uh, like on the guitar specifically Mm -hmm. and um, times when I would feel really confident because like the whole thing with soloing like on any instrument, especially in jazz is like you have to know you have to have like a really good sense of like the the ground that you're working mm. in meaning like you have to know the key really well you have to know your modes really well you have to know where you can play and if you're confident in that and sometimes it's just a feeling of confidence then you can play really freely and you can go wherever but if you don't know the mode really well or you don't know the tune really well and your confidence is fucked with in some way then it just makes it hard to be free and then you fuck up and you suck and whatever and I distinctly remember that feeling and then once I like, you know, stopped playing jazz and grew up and was a grown up and was not doing that as much anymore being like, oh, I guess I'll, I'll never feel that feeling again. The fear of of having to make something up on the spot and whatever and being super embarrassed when it sucks uh, and being like, great, I left that behind at like age 18. And then like, <laughs> and then, like taking improv classes and being like, oh no, it's back. It's the same thing. It's the same fucking thing. Yeah. What made you uh, decide to start taking improv classes? Uh, I I was it was post college. I w- I had moved back here and I was on like a law school track, um, and I don't know. I was maybe a year out of college, and my older sister, uh, just she was a fan of UCB, and she had like gone to see a bunch of stepfather shows, and I had gone to UCB one time when I was like sixteen. But to the old theater, some like nerdy friend took me, and I was like, "Cool!" And then never thought about it oh, again. Like the old old theater, the old old theater, uh, yeah. What show was it? Do you remember? Ask Cat, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was so long ago, um, and it didn't like make a big impression on me for some reason. Um, and then I was like aware of the Comedy Central show, but I kind of didn't connect it anyway. So she was a big fan, and she was like, "It's so great." She was like, "You should, you should go be on one of their teams." And I was like, "I should," and she was like, "Yeah, you should, you should do that." And I was like, I was like, okay. And so like, then you, you go and you find out like, yeah, you can't, you can't come be on a team. You suck. (laughs) Uh, But you do find out like you can, you can take these classes or whatever. And Mm -hmm. it was just, it was a weird like thing in my head where I, I think it was latent for like a long time. But then she's very um, like 
uh, type A, like achiever. And I think her being like, you should do it. I was like, oh, well, if you think I should do it, you're very <laughs> rational. So yeah. And then I just kind of started doing it. Was it, was it something you like immediately liked? Uh, no, I didn't even start with improv. You know, I started with a, I think my first class there was a sketch writing class ah. and I liked that a lot. Mm-hmm. I found it really hard, but I really liked that. The improv came later and it came out of a sort of feeling of both obligation and like knowing that I didn't want to do it. So I had to do it because I was like mm. pretty afraid of it. But my intent was always like, I think it was like, how can I make this kind of like pipe dream artistic thing, this like never going to happen one in a million like career in showbiz thing how can I make it like kind of vocational and so mm. like uh if I do the writing that'll be like really serious and, okay. and then and then taking improv as a, an afterthought where once I got into that community it was like everyone was doing the improv program and it was like why would you avoid and then it just seemed mm. weird to avoid it so right. then I started doing it and I did not immediately love it I was like this is hard and embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> it is funny how much uh chiller it is to be in a sketch class where you just like sit yeah. and you're like i've already done my work i can relax yeah a little bit although it's like it's weird then like you know as you go along like having your sketches or your work read out loud in front of lots of people mm-hmm. is always like whew, right yeah you know, but it's just one moment it's like Mm-hmm. it's just a different kind of discomfort and the discomfort you become accustomed to in improv class is like, are oh, you going to be constantly embarrassed? But then it get, right. you get used to it. So right. it's a different thing. What was you, what made you get used to it? You just more reps, just doing yeah, classes, just more reps and just, um, like, you know, I think at a certain point, those first few times that you are like deeply humiliated, cause like everybody sucks in the beginning, mm-hmm. but there are times when you can suck even more than everybody who sucks. And the first few times that happens, you can really, I remember a few times that happening and like walking around the city with like a soundtrack of <laughs> sadness playing him. Like, like it was in like a rom-com and somebody had just broken wow. up. Wow. Yeah, t- totally. Like just being like a dark cloud over my head. And after you do that a couple times, like I think you just get like, I can't fucking do this every time. Mm-hmm. You just can't do it emotionally. And then you start talking to people and people eventually start to come clean about like, yeah, I fucking feel like that all the time too. And then you realize it's normal and it's like, you know, humans are adaptable. Right. used to it. What was a uh, sketch like back when you started? Uh, it was pretty nascent. Uh, it was like, there was one, te- there was two teachers. It was Charlie Sanders, who was my first one. And then Michael Delaney was my second one. Uh, and, it, you know, there was a guess a curriculum, but... It was really just pulling from the improv curriculum. So they were teaching game mm-hmm. and beats and stuff like that. Um, I remember one weird thing was that, uh, like, what was it like? Uh, the Something about, oh, yeah, it was like uh, everybody else was taking improv. So they were learning the, the vocabulary um, for like a herald so other people would refer to like beats and they'd be talking about herald beats and i would refer to beats and i'd be and i would refer to like in a sketch um and nobody else was was talking that way so i remember one time like delaney had to like stop me and explain the difference between those two things and like if you can imagine anything less comfortable than michael delaney <laughs> explaining to you the difference between sketch terms and improv terms. I mean, it, it was the worst. It was a bad but, moment. But wait, weren't you like, you're the one in the right though, aren't you? Because you're in the sketch class. Yeah, but everybody else, it was like everybody else in the sketch class besides me had taken Im- the see. improv. At least, maybe at least the first like three levels. Yeah. And I was the only, I remember I think one time Delaney said to me, he was like, go take an improv class because you're going to learn a lot of vocabulary that um, you don't seem to know. And I was like, oh, all right. Geez. Uh, okay. <laughs> was there like a moment uh in your classes where you thought like, oh i'm really getting the hang of this um <laughs> i'm trying to think if there was ever a moment in class um it took a long time for it to click there were certainly yes there were certainly moments along the way but they're too small to really <laughs> remember those victories i only remember when it fully clicked uh and that took like that took like two years or something. Uh Um, And before that it was always just like, Oh, if I can like, 
I'm, I usually am disappointing. Usually I'm disappointed to myself at least like usually suck and I'm disappointing and whatever I'm keeping up, but like, I'm not happy with myself and then maybe I'll have a win. Mm. I have a really good show or I'll have a really good, you know, scene in class or something. Um, but yeah, it was, it, I don't think it was till I would say like 2010. So I, my first improv class was like the end of 2008 or beginning of 2009. And it wasn't until like 2010 that I remember it being like, oh, fuck, I think I can do that. Most, I can, think I can now, most of the time I get on stage, do this properly. Right. Yeah. And, and you've done a, a few character shows. What's your, like, your process for creating characters? Um, the first time around, I took a class with Becky Drysdale. Becky Drysdale had like just moved back to New York and she was doing like tons of classes and mm-hmm. first teaching ECB and then she just started her own thing. And um, I wasn't going to do it because... I had no notion of doing like a character show, but um, my friend like made me do it and her process was cool. She was basically like, she would just give us, um, she gave us like a list of assignments at the beginning of the class that were meant to stretch you in different directions. Like do a silent character, do a character based on someone, you know, do a character based on like a concept. And she was like, you can pick any week to do any one of these assignments. And what it basically allowed for is like, it just gives you a jumping off point. But the first time around, I had so much stuff in my head that like had just been like marinating there for probably like a couple of years. So things came out really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and typically what I would do is I would like, I don't know, I'd sit down, try to figure it out. And then as quickly as possible, like get it on its feet and, um, just try to whittle down, uh, take the behavior because it would usually start with behavior and, um, and see, uh, what the, like, you know, whatever small audience you have is reacting to, and then, um, try to build like some sort of concrete, um, concept or philosophy around that behavior Mm -hmm. to make it clearer for yourself. Um, that's typically what I think. I don't know if that's a great way of explaining it, but no, yeah, it makes yeah. sense. So, like when you when you say behavior, you're just are you looking for like, like that's the way most characters come to me, right? Like I I don't think that's true for everyone, but for me, it usually starts with like an impression because it always starts with like it comes out of like if I was at dinner with people and I was like, you know, those fucking people who talk like this, and they're like, you know, whatever it is, um, or I don't know, like. Uh, I had like a rapper character and it was basically just me like making fun of a specific thing about like conscious rap that I thought was really Mm -hmm. funny. And, um, but then finding a way to like, you can have little nuggets that you start with. If you begin with behavior, it's usually just a nugget. Um, and you're not really starting by saying like, this is a guy who, or like, this is a lady who you're starting by being like, she's like this and you do it. And maybe you can have 20 or 30 seconds of material there, but you have to figure out what is it about those 20 or 30 seconds that's so satisfying so that now I can actually build the rest. Because mm. that part kind of just came out of you. So now you have to construct the rest and then you have to figure out what order it's going to go in so it feels like it heightens and it satisfies. And then you have to figure out when the fuck to end it because that's, if you've ever been to like a bit show, some of these characters can go on for like 10 or 11 minutes right it is, it is crazy <laughs> it is crazy how long shows some bits are yeah bits are yeah bits can be long <laughs> it's a t-shirt i'd like to get bits can be long <laughs> too long uh you've also uh directed some sketch i guess i have i <laughs> I, I directed a couple things um but not for a while yeah. that was like maybe a couple shows uh-huh. yeah and i will say i like will say fully i have no idea because I didn't come from a theater background or anything like that, everything I learned um, about doing a character show or a sketch show was just from doing it like at UCB or doing my own shows. So I was not bringing anything to the table <laughs> <laughs> besides like, yeah, I've done this before and it works. Like I, I did this in one of my shows. That's the only thing I could ever bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was not... Uh, I don't know. I've heard, I think like I've heard about other people like, you know, like Michael Hartney like directs a lot and that's like a professional person who like has experience and knows what he's doing and can make choices. I was just there to be like, um, here's what I think in my experience has worked and not. Mm-hmm. So 
Do you think uh, directing Sketch made you a better writer? Uh, no. <laughs> That's my gut feeling is no. I d- didn't do enough of it. Yeah. And like, I don't even know what directing means. I truly don't know what it means yeah. in movies or sketch. I don't know what it means. It is weird that uh, directors are responsible for so much, like in movies, but are also yeah. for so little as well. I, 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 I'm learning more and more like how much they're responsible for, especially in movies. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, the most concrete thing I can wrap my head around is that in movies they get final cut typically right. so like the edit is it's very clear to me always that the edit is a big mm-hmm. lot of choices my father's an editor and i'm just like i would watch him all the time just you know fix things or make choices or whatever it is but that's a lot of writing to me so in that sense directing on a movie i get it i don't understand <laughs> i don't understand like the thing about talking to actors how to get right. the performances out of them i don't understand besides making it look good i don't understand why you frame things this way or that way right i don't know anything so don't <laughs> nobody nobody inquire about directing <laughs> please uh what so what, what are the hallmarks of like a good ucv sketch to you um you know i i don't know i don't really know what the deal is now it's just been a very long time since i saw a sketch there mm-hmm. um you know i would say like there's the obvious stuff, like, you know, it should have a it should have a clear base reality and a clear um comedic idea. But where things really shined when I was there, like when I was on Maud Night, the things that stuck out were always just really original observations mm. that actually had legs. Um or really fresh performances. Like if you if you have an actor who you know um, can really knock something out of the park, I mean, like, like Mike Antonucci was on my mod team, and so often a writer would build a sketch around his ability to just be um, so surprising and authentic in a physical way. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, not, you know, you think about, like, physical sketch actors, and you think that they're, like, big dumb animals who like slam themselves against walls or whatever. But he was able to, I think, um, always deliver a physical performance that was on par with the most specific, Mm. uh, like wordy actors, which I'm more like the latter of like a wordy actor. And, um, so I, I just saw writers building that kind of stuff around him, but also, I don't know. There was (laughs) sometimes you'd see a sketch where the observation was so specific and so minute that you would have nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. So I think if they're the most successful ones I saw, and I think this is true in sketch everywhere, is like the thing that you're talking about or that you're making fun of has to be original enough so that it's surprising, but not so um, nuanced that no one can relate to it or that it has no room to grow because mm-hmm. it lives in one single observation. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know what's going on at ECB now because I don't, I don't really... Uh, it's so far. <laughs> it is far. I mean, not from... Actually, there's one here that's not far from us. Oh, yeah. This this one's close. This one's magical. I consider this one close. I consider the other one far. So far. <laughs> it's in the river. Uh, and so you worked at Above Average. Yeah. Uh, how did mm-hmm. that come about? Um, like, a lot of my friends worked there, and um, uh, they had just started... They had been just, like, uh, producing videos for, like, channel partners, like Paul and Lucia, and, like, I think, like, the Lonely Island guys and shit. And, um... And then they started to make their own studio and they're like, oh, we'll have our own creative team here where we'll uh, do like a funnier die model. We'll write articles and videos. Uh, so they started hiring people and I basically made the decision. I was like, oh, I really want to like hit the writing thing harder than I have been. And I want to um, actually start um, building like a portfolio of things that proves that I'm not just writing for myself so I just started submitting um, articles freelance to them. And, you know, they were just like, you know, headline style with like six or six or eight hundred words. And um, I just did that maybe like seven or eight times. And then my friend who worked there was like, yeah, there's another opening for a staff writer. And yeah. And then I interviewed and then that was mm-hmm. it. What made you decide to take writing more seriously? Um. It was. It had always been my intention to do the writing thing. Um, I have always cared about that part of this more, 
But what happened was <laughs> started writing, then I started taking the improv stuff, and then you get so distracted by getting good at improv um, that you start you can start to become a performer, and I did. And it kind of came easily to me, and it was the first time I'd really stuck my toe in that in that water. And um, uh, I, I don't know. I, I started to be noticed more for that. And then I did those character shows and it was like a weird thing happens when you write a character show, very few people come up to you and talk to you about the writing. Yeah. Everybody comes up to you and talks to you about the performance and it's nice, but you also want to say like, yeah, but I did write a half hour of material <laughs> myself and all those words were like, I, you know, every night I have to nail every word. And, um, so, so it was, I just started to notice like, okay, like, it's a branding thing. People don't see me as a writer. They see me as a performer and I see myself as a writer first. Mm -hmm. So let me change that perception by doing something that is unimpeachably straight writing. Mm -hmm. Um, and there was this obvious, uh, above average thing growing. Mm -hmm. So I was like, Oh, that's, and I felt that that was a reasonable goal at that point mm -hmm. to get my foot in there. This is kind of adjacent to what you said, but yeah. it, it always, um, surprises me when people are so like in, into the ucb world and they're so like we're trying to get like on a herald team and, and they're ignoring like all the rest of like the professional things they could be doing yeah it's always so odd it, you know I, I as much as it hap as that happened the yeah the focusing too much on herald and improv and not focusing enough on stuff that will actually get you jobs as much as that did happen in in my time there and i'm sure still happens there People are so much better about it now than when mm. I, like when I first started taking classes, so it was like 08, 09, you'd go to mod night to like the sketch night and the theater would be one third full and the sketches would be really um, hit or miss. It just wasn't, it wasn't really taken that seriously, even though it's like, that's the obvious path. Right. Um, I think some people took it seriously, but like as a whole, there wasn't a lot of attention on it. So now I think people are, I'm astonished at how great people are at um making their own shit um but yeah there's still the lure of you know putting all your eggs in that basket in like the herald improv basket mm -hmm. i understand it because it's totally you don't have to like fucking get up at 6 a.m and produce <laughs> your own video and like then edit it for hours by yourself and then put it up and you just you you get assigned to a group and that keeps you disciplined and there are rules and you do everything with that group. And that's great for your craft. But I think the days of getting a job from being on that, on Herald Night are, it's a, that's a decade old right. that path. <laughs> it's like <laughs> before even I was on Herald Night, like that was done. <laughs> uh, so at Above Average, when you have like a job where you have to generate a lot of material, like what are your, your go-tos for, for, for getting like ideas and stuff? <laughs> uh, that's funny. I, it just makes me like, it makes me laugh because I just remember like sitting around there with all my friends and, uh, <laughs> just trying to go, yeah, trying to come up with ideas <laughs> and in, in some, sometimes like very cynical ways, just like, um, you know, after a while, performance of articles became very important because the website mm. wanted to grow. So, of course, then you look to zeitgeisty things. So we started writing things that were, like, very topical. So, like, you know, some there were some articles that I wrote that were, like, this is a thing that I have always thought is funny and is just, like, I just want to make fun of it. And it seems really easy to do it in article form um, or video form. And then there were some things that we wrote that were so topical that if you read them or watched them now, you'd be like, what? Oh yeah, I guess. Like I wrote some article about like when Starbucks changed their cup, uh, to no longer have Christmas stuff on it, but just like winter stuff. Right. Right. Um, it was like a couple of years ago. And, um, I wrote something that was like, I think the headline was like, I, drank a coffee from Starbucks and the devil burned my tongue or something. And it was just very like of that day. And that day it did extremely well on the website. <laughs> and now someone would see that and be like, what is this about? Who cares? <laughs> well, we have such bigger problems now. Nobody gives a shit. It, it is weird how I, I always think about the topical comedy, just how quickly, 
like you know like you write an episode of a sitcom and that's you know can stay forever and then you just do like monologue jokes which you can do like a thousand of and they're just mm-hmm. like once it's like two weeks away it's like who cares about that joke mostly yeah unless it's like a great great joke or you know i don't know if you've ever if you've ever like dug back into like a you know like a weekend update from like 1976 or something i mean they do so many jokes about um about franco the dictator in oh, spain wow. like they're always doing jokes about him and like i get it i understand that he was a bad guy but uh it, it, that is just so specific to the time i don't know yeah some of that stuff can hold up but yeah topical stuff is it can be boring what's the difference of doing stuff for like ucb versus like above average um, I would say once I got to above average, well, first of all, that was the first time that I had my performance measured by like, really measured by like the internet, which right. is, you know, the first step to like actual show business, television type stuff. Um, so that was new. Um, and it felt very different than, you know, audience stuff, uh, audience reaction, um, like on the stage. Um, I would say above average is more joke forward. Anytime you start interacting with a bigger audience than who comes to UCB or rather a less self-selective audience than who comes to UCB, um, I think you, you just start altering your, you just start altering your performance so that it's, it's, it's heavier on the clear jokes and less on like the technique and the game. Mm. Um, I also found that like going from Harold Knight to like a weekend team, it was, it was much more like, look, these people are out on a Saturday night. They want to laugh. They don't want to be like, very good. They don't want to be like, wow, sophisticated God Mike move. They don't give a (laughs) shit. Yeah. Uh, so above average is, uh, I guess no more, or at least how it, like not in the same way. (laughs) I have no, yeah, I have no idea. It used to be, I, I, I think all that whole like the funny die above average college yeah. like that bubble is kind of burst so i don't know what those companies i think they're all if they're successful at all they're all producing now right uh i know i know funnier die is and, doing that yeah and college humor has like big breakfasts yeah although they i think they're still they're still doing it they're doing the the online stuff oh are they still making video yeah. oh, good for them that's great so but what are your thoughts on like digital comedy now i guess <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know i mean i think it's like it's like anything else. It just has these cycles, right? Like there was a, there was a time in like, you know, from like maybe 2007 to like 2010 or 11 when it was just impressive to make stuff, uh, and to make it like look good. And if you could pull off having like a web series that was like cohesive, people were like, wow, you have a (laughs) web series. And then it became professionalized. All these places started like churning out videos and, made them look very good. And then you had like big companies like Verizon and whatever coming in being like, we want to sponsor digital content. So, you know, it, uh, the thing just evolves and the standards get higher and things get weeded out. And, you know, every company has a digital platform and then everything goes the way of CISO. You know, I don't know. I think eventually it'll just level out to some marriage between uh what we had initially like um homemade you know youtube stuff um some marriage of that sensibility and the professional sensibility of of like netflix and mm. and shit like that um i'm not really sure there is such a volume of like right now what is the difference between digital comedy on a on a college humor level and digital comedy on like a Netflix level, it's just money and right. length of time, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, pretty much star power and star power, yeah. But like those things are gonna meld, probably. I think. Yeah. I don't know. I, it's really hard to like look at YouTube. I always look at YouTube, and I'm like, okay, so there are people who are on YouTube, and they're famous. They're big on YouTube because they did vlogs every day <laughs> for two years, where they talk directly into a thing on their shitty like home camera, like computer camera. But now they're big stars and they're being cast in professional, like YouTube, like Red or YouTube Premiere, whatever it's called, shows that are being produced with like movie budgets. Yeah. I I just think it's, that's what's going to happen. That's like the closest thing. 
Yeah, it's so it's so I know like people now like on their when they go for auditions or stuff they have to like put their Twitter followers on. Yeah. I know. Just That's a, wild to me. Such a strange world that we're entering here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially cuz like now anybody can like buy Twitter followers or like like kind of any like anybody can get verified or anybody can like drum up if you just do it consistently, like if you do consistent Twitter and you do like current memes that are of this hour, um, <laughs> and you do like an okay take on them, then you can get mad Twitter followers. And I'm kind of like, all right, like, isn't that market flooded? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. And, and it's weird too. Cause like, I, like maybe like 10, eight years ago or so you'd like, you could say, Oh, people can get jobs from Twitter mm-hmm. and they still kind of do, but like not in the same way as like the shit my, my dad says guy or stuff like that. Oh God. Yeah. Remember all those things? Shit my dad says or like stuff white people like or whatever. Oh, yeah. that, it was like a blog though. But yeah, people just get that. That to me is like, uh, that's the urban outfitters model. Right. Uh, <laughs> you, you do the thing on the internet for a couple of years and then you get an urban outfitters book. Yeah. Which is great. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what uh, digital comedy is anymore. I don't know what's going on. I I think people, you got to keep making it. Like that would be Mm -hmm. my one thing is like, I would be so sad. I would be really sad if people just um, stopped. I don't think anyone will, but if people stopped making their own shit, because there's just nothing as awesome as it is to work in, to get paid and work in real like TV or, or whatever. um, There's nothing like, um, those totally uh, pure first comedy ideas that you get to put up, mm. like with no oversight, you get to just throw up like on the internet. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really hope that never stops happening. Uh, and then you worked at uh, Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? Um, I did uh, Just for Laughs. Um, and after Just for Laughs... Uh, they had me do the, they do like a showcase usually. Um, and then after the showcase, they had me come in and, uh, test for them like on the, at the stage. And then, um, yeah, I think, and I had had also submitted a packet. Mm -hmm. So ultimately I got hired as a writer. Mm -hmm. Um, but they still make you go through like all the meetings with everybody. Um, which is stressful (laughs) yeah what was that what was that audition like uh i mean you you just go they tell you when to get there you go there you sit in a green room for a while like try to chill out um i like there's like was a tv in my room so i watched like the kardashians because that always really (laughs) relaxes me something about it really takes me out of like where i am and um yeah then they, they come in and they have you like sign your contract or whatever uh and then uh, the Jenna, the stage manager, comes in, and she's super nice, and she mics you up, and she's like, "She's like, congrats, this is going to be great." I remember her being like, "Like, <laughs> I think uh, people, everyone processes their stress differently, and I um, have always been an extremely nervous performer. Um, I just, without fail, before every single performance, I'm like." super fucking nervous, super focused, but super nervous. And it's just not something I've ever grown out of. So I think, uh, I, I remember thinking that she was, that she was like, whoa, uh, like trying to calm me down a little bit, but I wanted, I didn't have the words, but I wanted to just say to her like, yeah, no, this is just how I am. Like I'm always, <laughs> I, you can't calm me down. This is how I am. Uh, and then you go and, um, and the, the guy, Chris Kelly, uh, he, um, tells you, he's like, yeah, look in the camera, say your name and then you do it. And then, yeah, you just do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It was kind of. And this was your your first TV writing job. What was that like? Uh, transition like? Uh, I mean, it it, <laughs> it was it was big. It was like writing yeah. for TV and and for obviously like a show like that. I think it would be different if your first TV writing job was like on a new sitcom or something. But yeah, I was walking into. Mm-hmm. A pretty long history. Yeah. Would you uh, would you generally try to like uh, write for the cast or write like kind of what like just like almost not generic but like kind of stuff that could work for anybody? Oh, uh, you mean like premisey stuff versus like character yeah, exactly. stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I would say I usually wrote stuff with a harder premise 
because of two factors. Number one, like it's hard for anyone to give a shit about you when you're like a first year writer. So, and I especially like, I always kind of, I always tend to defer to like, yeah, let me like not get in your way. Let me like not bother Mm -hmm. you, uh, whatever. And my, my tack there was usually like, well, let me try and just make a sketch that you, you do have to cast people and assign people. And, um, sometimes you would go like, uh, you know, have a cast member pitch on something for a while but let me try to make construct something that's solid enough and like funny enough on its own that like a cast member who like doesn't give a shit about me and they have no reason to um will want to do their best in this like will want to Mm -hmm. do well and i think that was always the way that i was like the most successful Mm -hmm. did you did you like uh working that that crazy schedule uh i didn't mind it Uh you know it 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 was weird like the first the first um few shows we were there we had to do four shows in a row and i didn't understand none of us like new people understood that that would be very hard um but um i remember colin jost in like my interview was like yeah that's gonna be a rough one um and i was like oh it's four weeks i'll work for four weeks before but it, it was it was it was very tiring um but i i didn't mind it i don't know it's not having now worked on other stuff it's not more work mm-hmm. it's just in like a different at a different time of day right um and if you can just kind of wrap your head around that then it's like all right and you get breaks like constantly i don't you know yeah. i don't mean to say it's not a hard job but you're constantly on hiatus like, <laughs> <laughs> you know so is, is four weeks hard because it's like because you don't because you don't have a hiatus though so yeah. you just go you have you know sunday off and that's it and and that sunday is kind of like a blur um, right. Like you just like you get up at like 2 p.m. and you're like, <gasps> it's, it feels like coming like you, you've been asleep for like five years and then you wake up and you and you then you have to go back to work the next day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you were on the show for, for one year, right? Mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. what was uh, what, I mean, what was your experience like generally? Um, It was generally like pretty fine. Yeah. I mean, it was a stressful year because it was, um, you know, it was a election year. Uh, and that's, oh right! Yeah, it turned out to be a pretty pretty big bummer for everyone um, that election. So what, what was it like that <laughs> that election week when you had to write the show? Is it, it sucked? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it really that was like I think my least favorite week until the end of the week, which was extremely exciting, um, and it was kind of like it, it was a it was a big release because Dave Chappelle was hosting and Tribe Called Quest was a musical guest, mm. and that was I think one of two after after parties that i went to because they're after parties and after after parties uh-huh. and if like everybody went to that after after party because everybody just needed to like scream and sing and drink and like whatever right. um dave chappelle saying creep is that right uh correct yeah <laughs> uh, with leslie i think um it was it was very it, that was very cathartic and fun but the week leading up it just fucking sucked like because uh writing night was election night right and i remember i had a friend um who worked at the Maddow show. So that's just like a few floors down. And I was like texting with him and, and it was like eight 30 or nine. And I was like, had a break and like writing stuff. And I was like, Oh, let me come by and like, whatever. And he's like, yeah, yeah, swing by, swing by. And everyone was like still in a good mood then. Cause it wasn't quite clear. Right. So then like I swung down and then by the time I got down to him, like the kind of like the news was the, the trend uh, was hitting obviously like news people first before uh, it would get to like TV and regular people. So I was like down there and I was still in a good mood. But by the time I got down there, he was in a terrible mood and he was like, this is really bad. And I was like, what? No. And then I went back upstairs and, um, and I, uh, yeah. And then the rest of the night was horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what advice would you give to somebody like working on that show? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. That's really hard. I, I would say like, you can't go wrong you can't go wrong writing the things that you think are funniest. Uh, but I would also say, understand what your goals are when you go in. Because if your goal is longevity, you want to stay there for a long time, you, you, you have to do some, a little bit of strategizing. Um, you, you, you gotta kind of, uh, put your ego aside and maybe um i don't know you 
this is I, it's very hard for me to articulate um you can't be afraid to uh yeah you can't have <laughs> you can't have like too much um uh like integrity uh to strategize i guess i'll just say it plainly like you you gotta align yourself with some people or make it clear what like your brand is that's Mm. i'll be very real about that and that's it's it's a cynical way of putting it but i don't really mean it cynically so you want the advice to just be write the funniest thing be nice keep your head down whatever i think that works for some people but for me what i found is like you know there were times when I would get like advice from people like, oh, you should try to like get that person's name on your sketch or you should try to like go, you know, get in with that cast member. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, ew, like I don't want to do that shit. Like not because I don't like that cast member, not because I don't want that person on my sketch, but I don't want that to be a focus. Right. I just want to write something funny. And if this cast member serves it, I want them to be on it and I want them to pitch. And, and that worked a bunch of times, but I think... Ultimately, you can't be so, um, I don't know. You can't be so obsessed with like purity that you don't just be like, ah, fuck it. I'm going to like, uh, yeah. I'm going to get this person's fucking name. I should have done that. There's kind, of, there's kind of a political game you have to play a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it, it, it honestly depends on who you are. Mm-hmm. It just depends on who you are. I, I found for me, like I fell somewhere in between like... You know, most of that show has to be, like, straightforward and, like, somewhat understandable and accessible and whatever. And then there's, like, a smaller portion that is, like, maybe for you and me that's, like, more specific and weird and whatever. Um, But a lot of what you're walking into there is a predetermined, because it's just been going on for so many decades, like, a, a sort of structure, a DNA that's, like, okay, when new people come in, I want to as one of the higher ups of the show, I want to be able to see where, what, the, what part of the show they will service. Mm. And I want that to be clear to me because I don't have a lot of time to like assess this person. Um, and because I have an influx of new people ready to come in. So I don't really need to, you know, hem and haw over whether I'd like this person back or not. Um, so it needs to be very clear. So I think one thing is like, you got to be clear about what purpose you're going to serve there. Um, you know, in my case, I think I was able to perform pretty well there, but I think at no point um, did he, uh, did Lauren get the sense of like, oh, you're going to be my, this person. Right, right. Um, so I think you need to, you need to be able to say what, what person you're going to be. Mm-hmm. What was your uh, favorite sketch you did from that time? Um, uh, My favorite, which is not like, not the most popular one that I did, but I think the one that Lauren liked the best, and it was my favorite, was um, it was kind of in reaction to, it was the Felicity Jones episode, and it was like in reaction to all of these uh, like Hollywood people who after the election, every like award speech would be like uh, very self-important, like now more than ever, we must blah, 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 a lot of applause breaks and shit. And it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I love Meryl Streep and, like, God bless her. But also, like, relax. Right. You're a fucking movie star. What are you doing, Mamma Mia too? Chill out. <laughs> um, and uh, so we wrote this thing that was, like, uh, it was, like, a press junket and, um, like, directors and, re- and uh, actors and stuff. And uh, they were talking, like, super seriously about, um, like, making this film in reaction to the election and the country and everything. And then it turned out that the film was called, like... Um, I can't remember. It was called like Space Robot Three, like Race to Boob Mountain or something like that. Um, and it was just like it was just kind of going back and forth of them, like thinking their shit was really right. Like, and Lauren really liked that piece, I think, because he likes to make fun of those people too. Right. And I remember it being like, "Oh, that's cool." Like uh, he gets it. <laughs> yeah. Um. It's funny, you know, you know, this is another random tangent, but the the post, that movie The Post, it came on like Spielberg's desk like in the one about the Washington Post. Yeah. yeah. It came on his desk like like in June maybe, probably, probably like March maybe. Mhm. And uh he was like in the middle of like post production on Ready Player One, but he's mm-hmm. like this movie is about Trump. Mm-hmm. And so he dropped everything and made that movie and got like like Allison Breeze in that movie for like one scene cuz he just asked people, he asked favors of people to like 
do these small parts. She's in that movie? She's she's like, a, I think she's the daughter of, of somebody. Oh, shit. Okay. She got like one scene, but she's like, you know, famous yeah, yeah, actress. Yeah. Yeah. And so he like, because he, he didn't have time to cast the, the parts. So he just asked favors of people. <laughs> Uh, and I find the movie. I think the movie is very bad. I don't know if you've seen it. I don't, uh, I, yeah, I watched it. I thought it was bad. <laughs> and I, it's just so funny that he's just like, I, I need this out to, to for Trump. I mean, you can fucking feel that. Like that, that's the thing is like whenever you start from that point making something, whenever you start from the origin point of like, I am going to change hearts and minds right. with this. Like this is going to be whenever you start making something, you're like, this is going to be important. You're done. Your shit is fucked. Don't ever start making something by being like, this is going to be important because mm-hmm. you're going to fucking drown. Yeah, the movie sucked. It just felt like it's this <laughs> big, bloated, like, Hollywood. I mean, I, yeah, man, I love Meryl Streep. I yeah. love Tom Hanks, but what the fuck? Yeah. Bullshit, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you were just working at the break with Michelle Wolf. Yeah, yeah. How, so fun. How did that start? Um, I think that, like, uh, I think Michelle put that deal together, like, after her special. Um, and Netflix was like, Netflix keeps insisting that they want to do like a weekly uh, late night style right. show. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, so yeah, but uh, they were very cool. Like I liked working with them. Um, but yeah, it was, so they put that together. Michelle and I actually like knew each other from back in the day. Um, we took classes together and then we actually were roommates for a while. Um, so, and then we had, you know, we had both kind of like, she'd gone the stand up way and I'd gone kind of like the sketch route. And, um, so we had been kind of in like minor contact for the last couple of years. And then a guy that I had worked with, uh, Dan Powell was the showrunner on it. And, um, he had worked, I had worked with him on a pilot in the fall. And so then he, I guess he brought up my name and she was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, she assembled a really cool, uh, group of writers, really different, like from guys who've been working in stand up for like two decades to like, you know, a couple of people who were really new to uh, writing and then um, some people who were big on Twitter, some who were not, you know, another guy who, a couple of people who had worked at SNL. Yeah, it was cool. And, and did you write uh, for the White House Correspondents Dinner? Uh, I mean, we all, <laughs> we all pitched Michelle, probably each, each of us probably pitched her between 50 and 100 jokes for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, willingly, very like excitedly. Um, but you have to give most of the credit to Michelle. I mean, yeah. she wrote most of that herself um uh, it's it is hard to beat her uh especially when she knows exactly what she wants to say it's mm-hmm. hard to beat her jokes um so yeah uh we we all technically wrote for that and we all went um to uh-huh. it, which was uh it, besides michelle's performance was so funny everything before that is so boring and shitty <laughs> i can imagine yeah. <laughs> just the food sucks it's like uh <laughs> the worst airplane food you ever had it's like a well-lit a banquet hall full of the most boring like Washington DC people and uh, there's no music playing so it's just you eat dinner in like silence for like two and a half hours um, and then and then Michelle performed yeah Uh, well what was like the experience like with the aftermath of like the the stupid like (laughs) like people freaking out yeah yeah I would say it was a pretty quick it was a it was a quickly evolving arc. So for me, I was like, uh, this thing's gonna, I was like, this thing is changing, changing tide, like the, the, or the tide is changing rather very quickly. Um, so by like Monday afternoon, I was like, yeah, by Wednesday, it's going to be not cool to be on anyone else, to be against her. And it, and that was true. Like mm-hmm. by Tuesday or Wednesday of that week, it was like, uh, shameful to have like, for anyone but like a conservative, right. it was like really shameful to have uh, wagged your finger. I mean, like <laughs> Maggie Haberman, man. Now there's just like a feud. Now just like every chance Michelle gets, she'll make fun of Maggie Haberman. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like, like Andrea Mitchell, like all these people who are like supposed to be, um, who are supposed to uh, being speaking truth to power, who are not actually interested right. in that. Well, I think a lot of the blowback maybe came because Michelle was so diff- tough on uh, on the journalists rather than like Trump. Absolutely. Uh, and the, I think it was a very, very true joke. It was very, very pointed. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's why they were so angry. Absolutely. And it's, it's a really funny study in psychology, I think. Um, like, 
looking at the way that, you know, like if you're having a fight with somebody that you love, like it can be easier for them to be like, why didn't you close the refrigerator door? And that's not what they're upset about. They're upset because like you, like, you know, are not friends with their mom or something like that, something much deeper. So I think in that case, it was really interesting to watch, um, yeah, those journalists kind of bank off the side of, you know, the pool table to get in, to get the eight ball in. It was like, Wait, you're mad about what? No, this is about you. Come on. Uh, and you were hired uh, before the show started. So, what, mm-hmm. what are you doing, like, in those weeks and months before the show to get it ready? Uh, yeah, we started working March five, and the show started uh, May twenty seven. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so for that first part, we were working on uh, mostly writing sketches trying to build the DNA of the show, figure out what it was, figure out what like the desk pieces would be, um, what the monologue was going to be like. Um, so trying to figure out the DNA of the show, but then also very concretely writing sketches to be uh, produced in that period. Cause we mm. started uh, filming sketches in April. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we, we, you know, we mentioned just earlier about the post, you know, you shouldn't set out <laughs> to like do this thing. I think the mm. great thing about that, Michelle, the show is that it didn't do that compared to like a lot of other political comedy shows. Tried not to, yeah. Do you, uh, was that like very intentional? Yes. And like, yeah. It was very intentional. Michelle's voice is extremely joke forward, which I, I loved that. It was the first time that I had written for a stand up. And even though I know Michelle pretty well, I, it was a different muscle. And so, um, I really liked that. Uh, it was writing for Netflix, and Netflix was very cool about like, yeah, you guys can do whatever the fuck you want. Mm-hmm. I mean, they let us say cunt so many times, <laughs> not just cunt, but every curse word. Um, they let us do a salute to abortion, which again, like, same thing, like when you're approaching an issue like abortion, don't set out to make something that's going to change hearts and minds. Um, do something that you think is going to be funny, but also truthful. Um, and I think for us, we thought that was so funny because it was absurd it was like michelle looked absurd and insane um but also like we fully believed and also there was all this glee in like you know how much uh that would upset people right um <laughs> but but how much we felt it was it was needed to be said um so yeah it was very intentional i will say it was hard it's hard like i after working on that show especially because the time period during which we were working on that show was so fucking str- it was it was during um like the the you know the uh de- detaining of children at the border and putting them into cages um it was like right when that started um and was at its height and so everything was it was even more horrible than horrible and i will say like for every show that does sometimes delve too much into the serious, when it's a comedy show, you know, a late night show or a weekly show, when they do delve into the earnest and the serious, even though we, we did make fun of that on the show, like we specifically made fun of those type of shows, I have so much empathy and understanding for that because it is really fucking hard not to just get upset and want to and and be like I don't I don't know what to say I just want to say the truth it's really really hard and I think there were times that we even dipped a little bit but we tried very very hard to it feels somewhat cold and like brutal to keep to uh, keep yourself from doing that when mm-hmm. things get that gnarly when mm-hmm. the country's getting that fucking gnarly it feels like it's a lot of discipline but if you take a step back and think about the purpose that you're supposed to serve as a comedian. I think that makes it easier. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think there's a right answer, but it was a voice of the show. It was important uh, that it be jokes first mm-hmm. to us. Do you, do you like writing uh, comedy about politics generally? Uh, sure. Not, I mean, uh, not topical politics that much because I just think that, um, I do think it's like it's like any kind of topical thing. Like it has a pretty short half life, and the minutia can be pretty distracting. Um, but yeah, there were certainly like there. I would say like the the more the more absurd the politics get, the less I like writing about. Right, them. right. Because it just gets it gets boring. It's like what I'm going to write down exactly the stupid shit that Stephen Miller says. Like I'm going to make fun of the way. He, yeah, he looks insane. <laughs> like I can come up with a million epithets for like what Stephen Miller looks like. 
but like ugh, it it does get boring after a while what i'd rather do is write more obliquely about politics not in a day-to-day way but mm. more just in a in a social commentary way but um not with the intent of helping anybody <laughs> <laughs> i always approach it from like i really don't care if you absorb this or if this helps anything i just need to point it out because mm-hmm. it's stupid uh, I, I love that show. I thought it was the best. Oh, thanks. Man. I thought it was the best late night show. Thank you so much. Gonna, I'll relay that to everyone. Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, I mean, why? Why? I mean, why do you think it got canceled? I was very shocked and surprised to see that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um. Uh. I think it was a simple thing of all the whole time. Uh, we kept having these discussions. Not 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 I, but the higher ups were having discussions with Netflix about how to, um market a weekly show i think it's just mm-hmm. not part of their model yet i'm interested to see how they'll do hassan's show because that is that's going to be weekly i think mm-hmm. um but it's just it's a simple thing of when you go on netflix things are not organized such that something that is topical would stick out to you right um and i just think for them to change that would have been a big overhaul and they and they didn't understand that that it was really going to get lost in the shuffle and i think it just got lost in the shuffle no one knew to go on like a Sunday and be like, everyone knows to watch John Oliver on Sunday. No right. one knew to watch her on Sunday. It's weird. That, that is strange because like, I don't have cable. Mm-hmm. I, and I like, I, I, I did watch every, I did know, but I was, you know, very cognizant of it because I like the show and I want to keep watching it. Um, but I feel like most people I know don't watch like, like, you know, it doesn't matter to them what time the daily shows on or whatever. If they want to watch it, they'll watch it the next day, like whenever they want. Mm hmm. And so it's weird that, but but I do I think you're 100 percent right though that it's really hard to find that on Netflix. Yeah, but yeah, it's so it's the difference of like yeah I don't have cable either, but it's like uh, uh, like my Dan the EP would point out like when you go to Hulu, uh, Hulu like screams at you about like if you've watched a show one time, yeah. Hulu's like the next episode's out. Right. There it is, um, or whatever it is, and, or it has like it's like it has a whole menu thing that's like what's new. Uh, and Netflix doesn't have that. It has like new new to Netflix or right. whatever, um, or like if you go to watch a Daily Show, it'll say like September twelfth, two thousand eighteen, so you know what to watch, what to skip. Yeah. Also, the Daily Show is like an established brand, and True. it's kind of like guys, if you want to. And Michelle had worked at the Daily Show, and I think she made the point to them a few times, like, "Well, this is kind of how it works. You have to." You know, Trevor had to sort of rebuild an audience after John left, and you just have to stick with it. And but you have to be consistent, sort of like those YouTube vloggers. Like I always hear people who come from that world say, like the most important thing is consistency. You have to let people know, like I'm coming out on Tuesdays at this time. That's how you build an audience. Mm-hmm. So I just I don't know. I, I wonder what they wanted. Why I, I'm always I I wonder why they wanted to do it if they didn't want to uh, change that that marketing landscape of how they market yeah. shows. And it's strange to me, but I don't know. They've tried a couple sh- uh, yeah, shows, um, and they've canceled like all of them. What's his name? Uh, Joel McHale. Joel McHale, yeah, the tall yeah, man. I'm, I know, I did. I, <laughs> nobody can see that, but I'm like, I'm tall guy. And then Chelsea Handler. Oh, Chelsea Handler, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. I don't know. We shall see. Yeah. Netflix is evolving. Yeah. They were cool, though, I will say, like, creatively they were fucking cool and it was <laughs> it was amazing like going from like nbc and then and then eventually winding up at netflix it was just a world of difference yeah i can imagine you know? yeah uh what would you like to be doing next um i don't know i like i like staffing on stuff i'd like to do my own show though i'd like to um have my own nut um but i'd like to do I think I'd like to get out of like the late night sketchy space. It can be really fun, but it also I'd like to do something with an arc. Um, right now, I'm, I don't know. I'm getting really into like, I, this is so weird to say, but like my, the, the show I can't stop thinking about right now is uh, The Good Fight, which is The Good oh, Fight spinoff. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is such an original show. I am, I think about it all the time. And it's a procedural, you know, like uh-huh. these are fucking, this is like lawyers in an office, like whatever. But it is th- the most creative. It's funny. The The plots are like so surprising that I'm starting to get my brain in a place of like, I love writing jokes. I, I want to find a new way 
to contextualize them. And I love the idea of putting them in an hour long format with real stakes, um, uh, like a procedural like that, or just like a drama. Um, but, but a drama that is real, just like, like all, like Mad Men was a, a favorite show of mine too. Mm-hmm. And that show could sometimes have yeah. really good jokes. You could miss them. And I think I would want the jokes to be more overt than that. Certainly. Like I want it to be more overtly comedic than that, but with the, the true stakes and, and, um, interest and, and richness of, uh, like an hour long drama. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm really psyched on that right now, but maybe it'll pass. <laughs> <laughs> I was a I was a big fan of The Good Wife. Yeah, I uh, really liked that too. Yeah. This is like on CBS all at why'd they do that? Just put I, it on CBS. I know, but I gotta tell you what, that makes all the difference. It's so uh, much weirder because it's on CBS. Oh, all. I see. It, it, I liked The Good Wife too, but The Good Wife was very much on CBS. Mm-hmm. And it, it's the same sh- uh, you know, show uh showrunners and creators, um, that, that married couple. Um but it's it's weirder because it's on digital. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that I mean maybe that answers your question a little bit. It's like, what is the purpose of digital now? Whether it's comedy or or in this case drama, technically, it's like I think the purpose is to have a space that's a little bit freer, mm. right? So like Netflix is a little freer, Hulu's a little freer. I think sensibility yeah. wise. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we're gonna wrap up with cool. you giving your thoughts on the sketch pitch. Um, so this would be like a uh, um, a jogging movie critic. So movie critic, right? he'd be jogging and then he'd be like out of breath saying like, a star is born and her name is Steffi Joanna Angelica Germanata and stuff like, you know, <laughs> that's a very bad impression <laughs> that I was doing right here. But... Of, of, of a breathless jogger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's, that's the gist. Okay, okay. Um, <clears throat> I like that. Uh, I will say, I'm going to just say right off the bat, because yeah. I always say this, if it reminds me of something, just oh, to no. do due diligence. Okay. It just reminds me a little bit of the uh, out of breath jogger from 1983. Did know. you ever see that? No. What is that? Um, Andy Samberg did a character on SNL. Oh, really? He was he was just like wearing uh, jogging attire from the eighties, and he was like, "Oh yeah, okay. just an out of breath jogger from," and he would just say topical thing like things from, from the eighties. That's funny. Yeah, and then I think he did a nineteen ninety three one. Um, but I really like that character. Always made me laugh a lot, yeah. so I really like the concept. Um, let me ask you something: like, what would he, uh, what kind of reviews would this guy do? Like. Uh, is he a is he a hard, tough reviewer? Or is he a nice guy? I I, th- I think he'd be just like a nice guy, like over effusive with praise. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah, like he um, loves every movie. He loves them all. Yeah. That's funny. Um, I could also see it being really funny if he's super mean while he's out of breath. <laughs> yeah, it's kind he's of funny. He's just like, not believable. <laughs> really, really tired. <laughs> Tried. <laughs> Honestly. <clears throat> Director has no voice, <laughs> you know, whatever. It's a mu- uh, much better impression of an out of breath jogger than what I was doing. <laughs> well, look, man, I'm out of breath a lot of my life, constantly late and uh, and constantly nervous, so I'm always out of breath. Uh, I think that's funny, yeah. though. I I love movie reviewer characters too. Does he have a name? No, I mean Peter Travers. <laughs> <laughs> that's no, don't. That's a real guy. One of the most fun things about characters is coming up with their names. I guess, yeah, I guess that's true. That's my favorite part. I always yeah. start there. Often I start with a name. Really? Yeah. That's it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. I guess he, he doesn't have to be out of breath jogging. I guess he could be yeah. out of breath running. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That'll differentiate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, all right, anything you want to plug? No, I don't fucking plug shit. All right. No way, man. Don't plug shit. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks uh, for coming really by. Fun. Funny idea. All right. Cool. All right, thanks, man. This has been a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit boardwalkaudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.